It's been praying. Uh, I'd like us all to stand again for the reading of the word, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You may be seated. What I want to talk about today is the renewing power of hope that yields to the renewing power of holiness. Our world has a shortage of hope and an abundance of hopelessness. For many, hopelessness has descended upon us like a storm cloud that will not lift. This is a season when our trials have come into focus. We have faced a pandemic or are facing a pandemic. We faced polarization and problems of all kind. We are lamenting injustices and grappling with isolation. We are experiencing fear and frustration. Some of us are plagued by sleeplessness and sorrow. We see anguish and animosity that has made an impact on us and those around us. Though facing very different circumstances, we understand a little of the confusion, discouragement, and tribulation that Peter's audience is facing. We've seen in the first 12 verses over these past four weeks the glorious work of God for the believers. What are they? Number one, they have been born again to a living hope. Number two, they have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Three, we can rejoice in trials. And fourth, they have the privilege of beholding these glorious realities, the surety of salvation. Do you see all that grace that God has bestowed upon you in chapter 1, verses 1 through 13? 1 through 12, I mean. Do you see how wonderful this is? But can you also see the objection that might come from Peter's readers? We know we have a future hope of glory. But what are we doing right now? How do we live in the midst of our current trials and suffering? So this is how Peter does. He shifts in verse 13 from what God has done for us, how he celebrated God's glorious work of redemption, to now he's going to address how believers are to live right now. In the first 12 verses, we had no commands. We had no exhortations. We had no imperatives. But now Peter shifts to give us five main commands in 1.13 through 2.3. 
don't be alarmed. I'm only going through the first two. (laughs) Peter's main point in our passage is that believers live to reflect their heavenly hope and true identity. The promise of a future heavenly hope informs and shapes our thoughts and actions right now. Faith in Christ isn't just about insurance for the future, but it's a renewing power for the present. Our identity in Christ informs all of our attitudes, all of our thoughts, and actions right this moment. So in this passage, we have two commandments. We have the command to renew the power of hope, And secondly, we have the renewing power of holiness. So let us start with the renewing power of hope. Let me reread verse 13 for us. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What I want you to first notice is the word, therefore. See, that gives us Peter's shift. He goes from recounting God's glorious work in the new birth to now exhorting these readers how to live in light of the truths he just shared. God's commands are rooted in a changed identity as his children. You see, we don't change our behavior to be accepted by God, but we are welcomed into God's family to live as his children. Let me say that again because it's kind of... We don't change our behavior to be accepted by God, but we are welcomed into God's family to live as his children. This command, the first command is to set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the imperative. Set your hope. You see, hope is not a passive thing. It's not a passive feeling. But it's a response to the sovereign work of God. Peter's command to set your hope comes after recounting the grace of God in verses 1 through 12. You know, I've already said that, but let let me repeat it again. We have been chosen. We've been born again to a living hope. You have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He's protecting us. We have a future salvation and the privilege of receiving all of this grace. We respond to God's grace in our lives by hoping in, trusting in, and placing our faith in God's grace. Peter uses hope and faith almost interchangeably. Almost. Faith is trusting God to do what he says he'll do. Hope is trusting God for his future grace that he has promised. In 1 Peter 3.15, we read this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness 
and respect. Be prepared to respond to those who ask for the hope that is in you. Namely, to answer why you place your faith in Christ. You see, two ways Peter is calling us to set our hopes. This is how we're going to get the renewing power of hope. Two things. Number one, prepare your minds for actions and be sober-minded. So let's start out with, let us prepare our minds for action. Now, I can see, because we have a lot of different translations here in this congregation, that some of your Bible translates it this way. More literally, girding up the loins of your mind. Okay? Girding up your loins of your mind. That might be a better translation. The image there is of a first century man who wore long flowing garments that would have made it difficult or nearly impossible to run or engage in some serious work. You can make the picture, okay? You'll probably trip over it. But what does it mean to gird up the loins? It means to wrap that extra flowing fabric around, tuck it into your belt, so that you could run without tripping or falling. The image is that of getting ready to engage in serious, and I mean serious, work. You know, as I was reflecting, I guess the modern equivalent of this here would be to roll up your shirt sleeves or put on your work clothes to get ready to do serious work. Brethren, put on the right gear and let us remove all the obstacles to do God's intended work. Hope is not passive. It's not waiting around to feel differently. But it is active, and there's the key word, active work to engage the mind and heart with spiritual truth. Let's look at an illustration from gardening, and I'm probably the least person for this. But if you want weeds, as I know, in your garden, you don't have to do much, right? Okay. But if you want a flourishing vegetable garden with fresh tomatoes and zucchinis and herbs... It requires work, real, engaged work. You must till and dig and plant and fertilizer and whatever else, okay? You see, hope does not happen haphazardly. But through proactively pondering the privileges of being God's children. To gird up the loins of your mind is to exercise effort, energy, and intentionality to call to mind the glorious work of the gospel. Just notice, effort, energy, intentionality, focused. Going back to the garden metaphor, 
our minds are like a garden, right? Where we must pull out the lies of Satan, the lies of sin, and the lies of the world at their very roots. And then, and only then, can we start planting the good seed to bear fruit. If you're feeling hopeless this morning, if you're full of sorrow and sadness, you're searching for solutions for your despondency, I got one solution. Ponder the glorious of Christ. Meditate upon 1 Peter 1 to 12. Commit it to memory this week. Do whatever you need to gird up the loins of your mind. Whatever to cultivate hope in your heart. Bring God's promises from the background to the foreground of your minds. That should be our focus. This is beautifully illustrated in Lamentations chapter 3. Many of us are, know verses 22 through 23. I think about a month ago I haven't referenced in my sermon. But if you don't, let me remind you of verses 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But just because these realities are true doesn't necessarily give us hope unless we remember and meditate upon them daily. That's why the verse immediately preceding it, okay, verse 21 is so important. So let me read verse 21 for you. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. How do we have hope? When we call to mind God's character, when we call to mind his accomplishment and his sovereign power on behalf. But Lamentations chapter 3 doesn't go on. It concludes in verse 24 this way. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. How does the author of Lamentations have hope? When his soul says to himself, the Lord is my portion. Hope bookends one of the greatest truths about God's character. And it exhorts us to remember it and call it to mind. So the first thing we need if we're going to have the renewing power of hope is we need to prepare our mind to action. If we don't prepare our mind, the action's not going to take place. Secondly, we need to be sober-minded. The second way that Peter calls his audience to set the hope is with sober-mindedness. Sober-mindedness is a direct contrast with drunkenness or overindulgence. This call is not just against drunkenness, but it is a call to abandon and remove from our lives the things that dull our spiritual senses. What diminishes our love for God 
dulls us to his glories. It minimizes power and perfections. You see, there are thousands of morally neutral distractions at work in our world today. And that's probably small. Moral distractions that keep us from hoping in God alone. Peter's command is, be sober-minded. One of my favorite preachers of all time is C.H. Spurgeon. And he illustrated this sober-mindedness to his believers the following. He, he wrote in one of his sermons the following. And I'm just going to share that with you. One day, many years back, a thick darkness came over the United States. Now and then in London, they do have dreadfully dark days, for which we can scarcely account. But this was quite a new experience for New Englanders and caused a terrible sensation. So exceedingly black was it that the barn door fowls went to roost in the middle of the day. The darkness grew worse, and the people trembled in their houses. The people declared that this must be the end of the world is coming. They were all excited and alarmed. One of the House of Legislature, the House of Lords, adjourned under the belief that the day of judgment was coming. The other house, the House of Commons, was sitting, and the blackness was so intense that everybody was scared. A motion was made that they should break up, go home, because the end was coming. Fortunately, fortunately, Colonel Davenport, a member of the House of Commons, objected, saying, the judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause for a journey. And if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles may be brought. It is dark in our world. But whatever is going to happen, or whatever is not going to happen, let us be found girded, sober, and hopeful. In these dark political times, in these dark religious times, in these dark societal times, and maybe in your own individual dark times, I call for candles. I call for candles. We need to keep on working for the Lord. How many of you have noticed like I have? I have noticed that the more I read the news, the more frustrated, anxious, and distracted I get. Okay? We can let our hopes rise and fall with every tweet, news report, government update, we might be tempted to drown our sorrows, fears, and anxieties with anything that will help take our minds off of what's going on in the world, locally 
or nationally. Here's my comment. Instead of that, look to the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be girded up, sober-minded, ready. Leave behind the junk food that the world offers and feast on the promises of God. I love the song, I Am a Promise, I Am a Possibility, the little children's song, with a capital P. That is how we get the renewing power of hope. By preparing our mind and by being sober-minded. In the next three verses, the second command comes. The command for holiness is expressed. First Peter 14 through verse 16 says this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Notice how Peter prefaces his command with verse 14. He begins by appealing to us as obedient children. Does that sound familiar? Go back to verse 2. The command for holiness follows flows from our identity as his obedient children because we have been rescued out of darkness and brought into God's marvelous light, as our scripture says. You see, the call to holiness doesn't need to be burdensome because we are children of God. We are to increasingly resemble our heavenly Father. See, be ye holy is a continual action. We get better and better and better. Let me ask you this rhetorical question. Have you ever noticed that those of the same household have similar mannerisms, similar humor, and sometimes even a distinct smell? You see, similar, Peter is calling his readers to resemble their heavenly father. He's saying, I want you to look like him, act like him, love like him, and even to have his sweet aroma that it says in other parts of the Bible. Our family resemblance to God needs to be in contrast with our former. Let me remind you of what it says. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, don't live according to your former way of life. According to that which is past. The past needs to be the what? The past. But live as you are now, as God's adopted children. You see, hope and holiness do relate. These verses do relate. When we're faced with trials and challenges, we are refined to truly hope in God. We're not to hope in acceptance or safety or trials or challenges. 
or prosperity or anything else you want to do. As we hope in God during trials and challenges, God is using it to make us more and more like him. We are to be conformed to his image. If you don't believe that, look up 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Peter, in verse 16, quotes Leviticus, right? He says, ye shall be holy, for I am holy. These words are repeated throughout the book of Leviticus, over and over and over again. And it's repeated because God's people are to reflect God's character. Holiness is appropriate and should be implemented in us as God's people. But before I leave that, I want us not to miss one thing in the book of Leviticus, especially in chapter 19. So if you all want to go to chapter 19, because I'm going to be in there for a little bit. I want us to see the repeated refrain here. He says this over and over again. I am the Lord, your God. So let's start with verses one through four. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregations of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and shall keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. The repeated message throughout Leviticus, which Peter quotes, is that God's people are to have their lives radically renewed by their new identity. By the renewing power of holiness, I am the Lord your God. I am. So, if you don't believe me, let's just give you a rapid thing of what happened. Verses 9 and 10. God's people are to reap their fields to leave some for the poor and sojourner. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. Verses 11 and 12. God's people are not to steal a lie. Why? Because I am the Lord. Verses 13 to 14. God's people are to not to oppress their neighbors, not to oppress the laborers, not to mistreat the deaf or blind. Why, everybody? I am the Lord. Verses 15 and 16, God's people are not to be unjust to discriminate against the poor. Why? Yeah. Verse 17 and 18, God's people are not to hate their brother or seek out revenge. Why? Yeah. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Instructions are given for how to treat your daughter, how to honor the elderly, how to treat strangers, how to be just in your business dealings. That's just to name a few. 
And each one of them is followed by either I am the Lord or I am the Lord your God. You see, the point that Moses is trying to tell us in Leviticus is that your identity as God's people informs all of your life. Your allegiance to Jesus transforms what you do, how you live, what you pursue, what you delight in, and every single aspect of life. Excuse me. There is no part of your life that does not come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Being a child of God changes everything. Faith in Christ isn't just about the insurance for the future, but a renewing power of holiness for the present. We are to live justly, to love our neighbors, to consider the poor, the deaf, the powerless. Why? Because we are God's people. We are children of God. And our allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone. Let me repeat. We have been born again to a living hope that dislodges all of our misplaced hopes. You see, by setting a hope on this grace, which is the revelation to come, we remove lesser hope and lesser loves. We unearth our idols of comfort and security. And hopefully, we increasingly love the things that are lovely and look more and more like Christ. This is what's called the renewing power of holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. You see, I love to come to the church. It is a beautiful thing when you can interact and encounter people that resemble Jesus. You think to yourself, look at that hope. Look at that joy. Look at the trust even in the midst of great hardship. If this morning you're low on hope, you have a surplus of worry and anxiety, I'm glad you're here. Because you know what? Jesus is the answer. What we need to do is take our eyes off lesser hopes, insufficient hopes, hopes that ultimately disappoint us. And as it said in the first part of this passage, set your hope fully on Christ by entrusting your life to him this morning. For you see, he has storehouses of hope. He's ready and available to give all who will become and surrender to him. You see, what I'm talking about today is not a temporarily stimulus package to help us feel better. But it's a rather wellspring of living water and an eternal life that will transform you from top to bottom, inside and out, that reaches to every crevice of our life. You see, as I meditate on being more like Christ, 
as I reflect on being holy, my first thought is I'm stunned. Because we were once were enemies. We were strangers. We were outsiders. But now if we are trusting in Jesus, we are his adopted children. We're brought into his family and now we can be transformed. We can be like him. By God's grace, we can increasingly be conformed to his image. We can become, by God's grace, more holy, more loving, more steadfast, more gentle, more bold, more courageous, more just, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more self-controlled, and more and more eager and excited for his return. You see, holiness is not being a fuddy-duddy. Okay, it's not being a killjoy. To become more like Jesus is to grow our capacity to delight in the things that are truly glorious. To really experience the joy that will never disappoint, that can withstand trials and suffering, and that ultimately will result in us giving praise and glory and honor. To disdain holiness is to work against all that God has in store for us. A hope is in the grace that is to be revealed at Christ's second coming. There will be a day, let me just say that, there will be a day where we will no more cry out, how long, O Lord? How long until all the injustice in the world is made right? Trafficking will be abolished. Abortion will cease. Racism will be no longer. Disease will be banished. And brokenness both in our hearts and our world is undone. There will be a day when God will answer our cries, Oh, how long, O Lord? And it will be answered by the Lord God Almighty himself. And we will shut our mouths up in awe and worship. But until that day, until that day, as I close... Let us sing the following. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, although the ground is seeking sand, our other ground is seeking sand. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, Oh, you're an awesome God. I don't know, have much to say, Lord, except, Lord, let us set our hope by preparing our minds, by being sober-minded. Let us be holy because you are holy and we need to resemble you, Lord. Lord, be with us as we finish this.